0: So glad that you're here with us. Hope that you all had a Merry Christmas. I don't know how many of you got cool and interesting gifts. I know Caleb Hale got an interesting gift yesterday. If you want to know more about that, you can ask him afterwards. Um, I also got a great Christmas gift yesterday from my youngest daughter, and I'm going to have to show them off to you, and uh, you can come and see them later, maybe if you can't see it, but check these out. Is <laughs> <laughs> that not awesome? Yes love it. So I hope that you had a great day celebrating with family. We had a lot of folks over at our house and it was a great day um, just to gather as friends and family around a meal and to share gifts and to reflect on the wonder of Christmas and why Jesus came and the joy that he brings to our lives. Um, Today we're going to be in in James, James chapter 5. So we are slowly working our way um, through this great book. Um, We're into the last chapter. Probably after this we'll have about two more, I think. Um, At some point later this next year we'll get to um, to finish out this letter. But today we're going to look at a passage that's probably the strongest worded passage in this short letter. It's a stern warning that echoes the words of Jesus. And as we walk through this passage... We're also going to look at a couple of Jesus' parables um, that he shared. And as we wrap up this morning, I want to close by reading some of the words of Paul from some of his letters, just by way of encouragement. This is a a heavy few verses, quite challenging to read through. Um, And you'll understand that as we go along. So let's start by reading. We'll be in chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. So if you have your Bible... You can follow along with me as I read this out loud. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, God, as we begin to walk through this, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. And God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. In the great name of Jesus that I pray, amen. So, not exactly the most pleasant of words to read, but poignant, I think, to us in our day and age. And as we walk through this, um, we'll take a look at who and why. Now, as we get into this today, I think we need to work out who it is that James is speaking to here. And there are differing opinions on this. There are those who believe that James is speaking to people outside of the church, and there are those who believe that James is speaking to people inside of the church. Now, I land in the second group, and I'll explain why. I think that James is speaking to people inside of the church, and here's why. For the entire letter, he has been speaking to the brothers. We've seen that phrase repeated over and over again as we've walked through this. And there's not a change in person when you get to these verses. He's still speaking in the second person. But who he's speaking to among the brothers, I think, is different. And we'll get to that in a minute. One thing that we have noted throughout our study in the book of James is that the whole letter is given as a series of tests of genuine faith. As we've worked our way through the last four chapters, we've been faced with tests like these Are you steadfast when trials come your way? Are you both a hearer and a doer of the word? Do you show favoritism and partiality in your dealings with people? Is your faith evidenced by works? Is your tongue a loose cannon? Do you live by wisdom that comes from above or earthly wisdom, which in reality is no wisdom at all? Are you caught up in worldly passions? Do you boast about tomorrow with little regard for God's will in your life? Chapter 5, verses 1 through 6 is yet another test of genuine faith. How a person feels about wealth and how they handle it is a test of genuine faith. It reveals the spiritual state of the heart. Now, I believe that James is addressing a different group of people, much like he did in the last section of chapter 4. If you remember, these two sections start in the same way, with the words, come now. Come now. It's, it's It's a sense of urgency, listen up. Pay attention to these words. Both of these, I think, are still written to people within the church. However, it's slightly different, and we're going to get to that. He's not addressing people outside of the church. He's speaking to people inside the church who may claim the name of Jesus, but their lives give no evidence that they are true followers of Christ. I believe that James here is speaking to people who, though on the outside, they may affirm faith in Christ and love for God, they obviously love money, and their life is totally controlled and governed by that love of money. And so their spiritual state is revealed in the matter of their relationship to riches. These are people to who some degree or other want to be identified with God, to some degree or other, or other want to have Christ in their life but they don't come on God's terms. We'll call these folks the godless rich. These people are in and around the community of of faith, but they are not of the community of faith. One commentator said it best, where there is wheat, you will find tares. This is in reference to Jesus' parable of the farmer who sowed wheat in his field and while he was asleep, his enemies came and sowed weeds among the wheat. The enemy is always at work, and this has been the case throughout church history. As we've seen over the last several weeks in our study in John, even one of Jesus' own, Judas Iscariot, who walked with him for three years, betrayed him. He was in the community of faith, but he was not of it. Now, at the same time, you might ask yourself, so if this is directed just to those people, to the godless rich, then do I need to pay attention today if I don't fall into that category? And I would say, yes, we do. It also speaks to my heart and it speaks to your heart as Christians, as followers of Christ, because it reminds us of the sins that we ought to avoid. It reminds us that we don't want to be anything like these people who outwardly name the name of Christ. As one writer says, He shows us the pit so that none of us fall into it. These verses are a strong warning of judgment against the wicked wealthy who are identified with the church but whose hearts are toward their money and whose God is their money, whose life surrounds their own personal comfort and indulgence but it's also a great statement to those who are true believers to be sure that we avoid the sins that characterize these people so let's walk through this passage together starting in verse one i've already mentioned he starts off with this phrase come now and this is a strong word in the greek it's it's meant to be listen up pay attention don't miss this And he quickly identifies the rich. This is who he's addressing this to. Now one thing we need to establish is that the Bible nowhere condemns wealth. The Bible speaks extensively about money and riches and wealth. In fact, it's often viewed as a blessing from God. Proverbs 10.22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes rich. Later on in that same chapter, there's another proverb that says the fear of the Lord prolongs life. Now, the health and wealth gospel, they they latch onto these things and they name these and claim these and but these these are not proverbs that are universal to anyone and everyone. But God does bless people with riches. He does bless people with long life. We know this, we've experienced this. We all but we also all know people who loved and feared the Lord who are no longer with us. We know that not all of us are blessed with monetary riches and that blessings from the Lord often come in many other ways that wealth and riches could never buy. We're going to come back to that at the end and I want to address some of that because I think that's incredibly important for us to recognize where our blessings do come from and how those blessings come Many people have the viewpoint that there is something dirty about money. And while physical money, yes, is very dirty, um, there is nothing that is inherently dirty about money. Scripture doesn't ever say that. What Scripture does say is that the love of money is the root of all evil. This is Paul's instructions to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. The problem is not in the coin or the bill. The problem is in the heart. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil, not money itself. So James here is not condemning people because they are rich. He is condemning them because of their wrong relationship with their riches. He was concerned with how they got their money and what they were doing with it after they got it. So money in and of itself is not the issue. However, the rich as a social class are often guilty of exploiting and oppressing the poor. We see this all the time in our world today. And God reserves severe judgment for this. And this is what James is going to address. This is what he's getting at right here in verse 1. He goes on to say, Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Well, that doesn't sound very fun, does it? This is a depiction of a very intense despair. These words describe an uncontrollable grief. The Old Testament prophets often describe this kind of wailing over the effects of sin. Jesus himself said in Luke 6, 24, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. This was in a passage um, from what many believed to be the Sermon on the Mount. Luke doesn't lay it all out exactly as Matthew does. Um, Luke kind of lists four beatitudes and then he gives us four woes and this is one of the woes that Jesus gives in that passage. Woe to you who are rich for you have received your consolation. In other words, you have amassed a fortune in this world and that's your reward. But as we all know, you can't take it with you. It's said that When one of the Vanderbilts was dying, the family was waiting in an outer room. When the lawyer and the doctor came out, one of the more outspoken members of the family stepped up to the lawyer and asked, how much did he leave? The lawyer replied, he left it all. He didn't take any of it with him. All the riches in the world will come to nothing. Do you remember Jesus' words in Mark 8? 8.36, he said, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? It profits him nothing because he can't take it with him. Jesus also told a story that graphically illustrates the judgment that the godless rich will face. This is in Luke 16, starting in verse 19. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This leads us to the four sins that James reveals to us here that lead to the severe judgment pronounced on the godless rich. First of all, they are condemned because their wealth is uselessly hoarded. Look at verses 2 and 3 again with me. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Earthly treasures are subject to decay. We all know this. And they eventually perish. I've mentioned many times throughout our study in James that it seems that the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon, is primary source material for this letter that James has written. James echoes the teachings of Jesus here again. Listen to these words from Jesus from Matthew 6:19 and 20. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in, break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus also shared a parable in Luke 12 about a rich fool. says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus here, just like James, is condemning the godless rich for hoarding their money. This guy wanted more. He had plenty already, but it wasn't enough. And so he decided to tear down his barns and build bigger ones so he'd have more place to store stuff. You notice how many storage places that we have around us? There's a new one popping up out my direction. We like our stuff, and it's never enough. Someone makes the first million. They're not satisfied with that. He wants to make two million. It's like drinking seawater. The more you drink, the thirstier you get. God entrusts us with material goods so that we might use them for his glory. We, as believers, must provide for our families, but our resources are also to be used to advance God's kingdom. Hoarding our possessions is foolish, hoarding of food leads to rot. Hoarding of clothing leads to clothing eaten by moss. Hoarding of money leads to corrosion and decay. James uses all of this as a picture of the coming judgment on the godless rich. All of this he says will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. This is reference to the one of, one of the most fearful realities in all of scripture that hell is a real place. It's a place of eternal punishment for all those who have not been saved by grace through faith in the atoning death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Wealth is to be enjoyed as a blessing from God and used to fulfill His will in meeting needs and advancing the gospel. Those who fail to do so suffer judgment. Secondly, the wealth was dishonestly gained. Look at verse 4. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. The wages that you have kept back, this is a violation of the law of God. Wages are not only to be paid, they are to be paid on time. God makes this clear in the Old Testament law. Leviticus nineteen thirteen says, You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. Deuteronomy <clears throat> man, voice is going, sorry. Deuteronomy twenty four fourteen. You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy. Whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns, you shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. This was such a serious issue that Jeremiah, the prophet, pronounced a curse on those who did this. Jeremiah twenty-two thirteen says, Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages. James condemns the godless rich not only for hoarding their money, but for making it in a dishonest way. They've robbed the poor to get the rich. So the third sin that James mentions is that the godless rich have spent their wealth in self indulgence. They were spending their money in a sinful manner. Look at verse 5. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. We talked about two godless rich men that Jesus mentioned in the stories that he told. Both of them wanted to live it up. One wanted to store it up now. He wanted bigger barns and wanted to be able to live it up in his old age. The other was living it up at the time while a beggar laid outside his gate. The godless rich live lives in luxury, giving themselves to the pursuit of pleasure, denying themselves nothing in order to satisfy their desires. A life without self-denial will soon go out of control in every area. Think about the story of the prodigal son. His life descends into chaos as he endlessly pursues earthly pleasures. He thought that his father's inheritance would solve his problems and bring joy and peace. And he blew it all and ended up in a pigsty. One commentator said this, If you have decided to live for this life only, be sure to live it up. But God says you are a fool, my friend. Look what James says at the end of verse 5. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter like animals fattened for slaughter the rich are unaware of the disaster awaiting them listen to these words from one of the wealthiest and wisest men to have ever lived it's ecclesiastes chapter 2 words of solomon he said i made great works i built houses and planted vineyards for myself i made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees i made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had ever been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, many concubines, the delights of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. James warns of a day of slaughter. Another frightening and vivid picture of judgment. Like fattened calves headed to slaughter, the godless rich are headed for the slaughterhouse of divine judgment. And apart from saving faith in Christ, that is the reality that that awaits them. The last sin that James mentions is that the godless rich acquired their wealth ruthlessly. Look at verse 6. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. The unjust use of power often causes the death of innocent people. Again, we see this across our world today. Just a little over a month ago, a few of us stood in places in the Middle East where terrible travesty occurred because of the obsession with power. The unjust use of power often causes the death of innocent people. The verse could also be understood figuratively since to rob people of their wages and livelihood is to commit a kind of murder against them. Strong words of judgment and condemnation. So where does that leave us? John MacArthur said this, Wealth may be a blessing, A gift from God bringing the opportunity to do good. But that can only be true of those who are also rich in faith and rich toward God. If wealth is to be a source of blessing and not condemnation, it must not be uselessly hoarded, dishonestly gained, spent self-indulgently, or ruthlessly acquired. As we begin to wind down today, I want... I want to read some passages of scripture that I hope will be words of encouragement to us today. The riches of God extend far beyond any wealth that this world has to offer. We already looked at a part of Luke chapter 12 when we looked at the rich fool. This is Jesus' reply to his disciples immediately after that. Starting in verse 22 of Luke 12. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your your possessions, give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Luke 18, Jesus said, A ruler came and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God, and Peter said, "See, we have left our homes and followed you." And he said to them, "Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come, eternal life." What do we do with the blessings? the monetary blessings that God has given us. All of us in this room by the world's standards are rich. All of us. What are we doing with our wealth? One thing that I've really been challenged as I've been studying this over the last few weeks is thinking about what I do with my money and how much of it is spent on things that are fleeting and really ultimately amount to nothing and thinking about what does it look like to be generous and wanting to practice generosity more. Because there's such a blessing that comes when you're generous. I'm sure you've experienced that when you've given sacrificially to something or to someone at some point in time. Knowing that it's such a massive blessing to them and maybe didn't hurt your pocket that much. But you just walk away with this sense of you did something that was honoring to God. And you feel the joy in being generous. And God calls us to be generous givers. But God's blessings come in so many other ways. And I was reading through some of Paul's letters. And I just kind of did a quick search on Bible Gateway of the word riches. And he uses the word riches a lot in his writings but very seldom is it ever related to money. And these are some of those. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love... of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Ephesians 2 verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show Again, the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 3, verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. 3.14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of God's glory And my God will supply every need of yours according to what? His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many seamless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, on God who richly Provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. These words in James are strong words. Strong words of judgment on the godless rich. Strong words of warning for us. Followers of Christ. Warnings not to get caught up in the trappings of the world. So easily done. Now as we look back over James and we look at these tests of genuine faith, this is not... This is not written so that we would question our faith in Christ. If you have come to faith in Christ, your faith in Christ is secure. But these are written to us that we might examine our lives, that these these things that James mentions to us, these tests, would show us what we need to work on in our lives as we walk with Christ. Christ. Because all of these things, all of these tests that are mentioned are easy to slip back into. They're easy to fall fall into temptation to. But Jesus commands us to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. That alone should be our purpose in life. To seek Him first above all things. So kids, students, adults in the room today. God gives us many blessings. Some of that comes in monetary form. Much of that comes in many other ways as we've read from Paul's letters and His mercy and His grace towards us. But above all things, seek first the kingdom of God. We're about to turn the page on another year. We're about to step into 2022. Who knows what this next year holds for us as a church, as a nation, as a world. God knows. And that's not for us to worry about right now not for us to be anxious about right now it's not for us to be fearful about right now let us seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things jesus says will be added to you as well would you pray with me